If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to 2 Corinthians. That's where we're going to be this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, this is that Sunday every year that sort of stands alone, really in, a, in an odd place. Uh, you, you know, Christmas has happened. Uh, the, 2017, for all intents and purposes, is over. We can see 2018 coming. If you look at your calendar, it's already there. Our milk expires in a whole nother year. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a strange week here. It's, we're, we're sort of, it's sort of this microcosm of the already and the not yet, maybe. Um, and so today, we're just going to look at two verses. I want to tell you up front that these verses have held particular meaning for me, really, uh, for the last... Uh, over a year or so, but but even even more than that, over the last maybe three ish months, as we've been planning and meeting and 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 dreaming and thinking about what uh, God might be doing as we launch into Rivercrest over the next few weeks, and and so um, I have felt this um, in maybe a unique way. Um, I, I have felt the. The weight, um, not not just of the task before us, uh, even though that is that is a great thing. I've I felt the weight of that, but I've also felt the weight, uh, really, of my weakness, if, if that makes any sense. Um, my my insufficiency has been just staring me in the face. Um, Reminding me constantly that I am dependent uh, not just on other people, even though that is difficult at times, but I am 100% dependent, uh, fully dependent on God to do His work around and through His uh, His people as He gathers His flock together in His branch of His church in East Lexington. So perhaps more than at other times, I really do feel the weight of these verses. So let's let's go Second uh, Corinthians twelve, just verses verses nine and ten, and then and then we will set it in the context. But hear this Second Corinthians twelve, uh, nine and ten. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would... I don't, I don't need you to come here. You're already here. You, you were here before we ever walked in this room. You're, there's, there's no place where we can escape you. Uh, you are at work at all times and in all seasons. But Lord, I pray that we might feel that now. I pray that through your word you would speak to us. Lord, that you would rebuke, uh, that you would reprove, or that you would correct us, that you might train us in righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, that we might be your witnesses, that we might be uh, a city on a hill, a light shining in the darkness. Lord, that we might not, that we might not fade into the oblivion of our existence, but that we might walk by faith um, in you. Lord, I pray that. Uh, speak to us now, and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if, you are, if, you are, if you're anything like me, and I really don't uh, wish that on any of you, for the record, um, but if you are, you might fall into the same tendency that I have when I, when I read the Bible, and that is to 
That is to see the people oftentimes as uh, less as people and more as caricatures in a story. And so if I'm not careful, my tendency, uh, one that I have to resist, is to see people as, as they're sort of, at least the people of the Bible, as if they are detached from reality. As if they, they kind of exist outside of our plane. They kind of hover 30,000 feet above the earth where, where there are no sound technical issues or anything like that. And, and so they, they just they float above the fray all the time, totally disconnected from the reality that I, as a common man, as you and I have to live with our feet firmly planted here on the ground. And so especially with somebody like Paul, I can fall into that. I can read through his letters and forget that he's human. And I know that sounds silly. I mean, I'm fully aware as I'm saying that of how ridiculous that sounds. But we do that. And we do that with our heroes. We build them up. We put them on pedestals. And we forget that they walk the same paths, that they endure the same trials and the same hardships, that they suffer the same pain that we are forced to endure. And the problem with that way of thinking uh, is, is the Bible. It, it, the Bible doesn't allow us to, to stay there with, with someone like Paul. And, and I don't know of a more raw and vulnerable uh, letter than the one that we have here in, in 2 Corinthians. It's the fullest expression of, of Paul's life and ministry in many ways. And the, and the quintessential expression of that is found here where in, in verse nine, our savior says to him, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And we should recognize, uh, if you know anything about this chapter at all, that this is not the response that Paul was looking for. Okay, this is not the answer that he was seeking. If we were to look back further in this passage, we would understand that Paul is, that he is suffering. He is uncomfortable. He is striving to serve the Lord in faith, but he is struggling in that. And, and the way he describes this is to say that he, what he calls a thorn in the flesh and that's really all we know about the thorn. There's great speculation about what it might have been, but, but, but we don't know a whole lot about it. We just know that Paul has it and he doesn't want it. And so verse nine actually is a response to Paul's request. It, it says back in verse eight that three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Okay, so that was Paul's request, that the thorn would leave him. Paul wants this thorn, whatever it may be, to, to go away. He wants it to be removed. And I love how he says this. He says, three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Three times. I love that Paul has kept a record of this in his mind. He's reminding God here, you know, I have asked you before. I'm asking you again to remove this. Another translation says, I implored the Lord. I implored him three times that it might leave. You get a sense of the heart of this man here. And it's not a, like it's not a guarded heart. I, I know most, again, if you are like me, we tend to guard ourselves so that we don't get wounded. We don't give you our vulnerabilities. We don't give you our weaknesses because we don't want you to see that in us. But, but Paul does. See, this is, this is not a moment of protected thought. This, this is a public letter. If you go all the way back to, verse, uh, to chapter 1, verse 1, it was written to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Okay, so he's writing to an entire region. 
this, this stalwart of the faith is writing to an entire region of people and telling them, here, confessing his weakness. And so we, what we see is that Paul, he's not standing in his own strength or his personal sufficiency, but he's now exposed in his weakness and exposed in his dependency. And I love that he pleaded with the Lord that it should, you catch the word there, that it should leave him. It's sort of a subtle nuance. I'm pleading with the Lord that it, that it would leave me because Paul was beyond the hope of removing it himself. Because that's what we would first try to do, right? If something's wrong in our world, we try to fix it. He's obviously tried that and he's resorted now to pleading with God to remove it for him. Whatever this thing is calls for divine intervention because he cannot rid himself of it. I remember as a kid uh, watching the old Adam West Batman TV series, right? Um, it was that and Dukes of Hazard for me. So you can like make your own judgment call on my early life. Um, we didn't have cable. It was kind of limited. Anyway, um, but those were my options. And, and both of those involved, uh, really, really the heart of the story was cool car chases and like really lame one-liners. And, and, but if you remember that show at all, Commissioner Gordon uh, had the red phone in his office, right? It was on his desk. It was there. Um, and, and, and it was wired in because this was old. But that was super technological back when that was there. I mean, like he had a red phone. That was crazy. And so anyway, um, that was the bat phone, right? That was the direct line uh, to to the one who could come and make everything right, whatever the issue was. Batman could come and he would fix it. He would catch the bad guys. He would come and protect the weak and the vulnerable. Uh, and, so, and so what inevitably would happen every episode is something would happen and, and he would pick up the phone again, didn't even have to dial. I mean, this thing was... This was nice, all right? Didn't even have to dial. And, and Batman would show up in gray spandex. Um, I don't know what that was about, but he would come and he would save the day. That's what he would do. Now, as a child, okay, I, uh, and this is just how my imagination worked, I, I imagine that the pastors of the church uh, had sort of the direct line to God, right? Um, and so if you really needed something, like if there was trouble, if there was pain, if there was anything wrong, <clears throat> excuse me, in our world that needed to be corrected, the pastor was the one who had the, the bat phone to God, right? We had, you know, Siri knew how to connect us or whatever now. Um, and, and so that's, that's the way I thought as a child, that if I, if I needed help with something, if there's something really serious, I need to go get the pastor to pray for that because then surely it would happen um, because they had the direct line. Now surely, okay, the Apostle Paul, if, if, again, if this is my imagination, surely the Apostle Paul then must have really had the direct line to God, right? The Apostle Paul himself, he, he had heard the audible voice of God, so surely when he asks for something, God is quick to respond to that. But if you look back at, at verse 2 in this chapter, he talks about how 14 years ago, 14 years before writing this, he had been caught up to the third heaven. Okay, that's, the, that's the term for the dwelling place of God. And in Hebrew thought, there are three heavens. Okay, there's, there's the heavens that we see, all right? The heavens that's the domain of the birds of the heavens. That's the, that's the first heavens. 
it's, it's here and it's visible. And then the second heavens is, is the domain of the, the earth and the, the moon and the, and the sun and the, the planets and the stars. It's the, it's the great beyond, right? It, uh, it's, 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 it's there, but you can't really touch it. it it's, it's foreign to us. That's the second heavens. But the third heavens, uh, that's, that's the invisible heavens. That's the dwelling place of God. It's the invisible dwelling place of the creator and the sustainer of all things. It's not here. It's a way. Okay, and over in verse 3, Paul calls it paradise. That's what he has to say about it. He calls it paradise. You see, he had been there. He had seen it. And even having seen it, he didn't fully understand what had happened. And I love how honest he is about that too. If you look back at that for a second in verse 2, he says, of this journey, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. You see, he, he can't even explain it. And listen, he so cannot explain it, he says that he can't explain it two different times in, in basically one sentence. He just knows it happened. He was in the presence of the Lord. And so, so we ought to be careful when we, when, whenever we see like a bestseller about some, somebody taking a trip to heaven and meeting with their granddad or whatever and, and having that. Con- Here, the apostle Paul goes to heaven and says, I can't begin to articulate to you what that was like. It seems strange that little children would be able to do that now. Um, the point is this. When I'm trying to, what, what I'm trying to get here is that surely this man, all right, surely Paul, who had been to the third heavens, had, had been in the presence of God, this one who had been caught up in there, who had heard things that cannot be told, uh, which man may not utter, this one who had experienced the surpassing greatness of the revelations, that's the way he describes it. Surely this man would have the direct access to God. Surely he would be able to pick up the, the, the apostle bat phone and connect. And the reality is, I want you to hear this, he, he did. Like he did have that direct access. He had the phone. Uh, what we cannot do is we cannot understand the negative response to his plea as a non-response. Okay, he had the access. He put his petition forth. He, he put his request, his plea before the Lord three times. Remember, three times he has come to God with us. Remove this thorn from my flesh. But, and this is important, God, God didn't do that. He didn't remove it. And again, we don't know what the thorn was, but, but that's because the, the thorn is not the point. The point of what Paul is saying in this moment of raw, authentic, uh, just unfiltered honesty, Paul is being reminded by our Lord that it is his grace that is sufficient. It is his power that is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul, this real man with his real feet on the real earth, had pleaded three times for the thorn removed. God has not removed that thorn. And I'm guessing uh, that on some level you can relate to that. Maybe it's some trial in your life that you can't seem to escape. Maybe it's something in your story. Maybe something in your past that has taken up residence in your heart and it causes you angst. Maybe it's a temptation. Like maybe it's a sin that you can't seem to overcome. Maybe it's that lust, right? Maybe, maybe we can be specific here for a moment. We'll start the new year being honest with one another. Maybe it's, maybe it's that greed. Maybe you're a jealous soul. Maybe it's anger. 
For someone, maybe it's just the laziness of your life that keeps you in spiritual shackles. Taking the context of this passage, Paul says that it's, that it's his pride, that God wants to prevent him from becoming prideful. You see, maybe you're one of those that the world just is not submitting to your kingship, and that's more than you can stand. Or it might be some form of physical hardship. Maybe you're in a season where you just cannot get healthy. Or maybe you're one of those people who just enjoy complaining and wouldn't know what to do without conflict in your world. I know it's hard to believe, but those people do exist. You're just a life referee and you're ready and willing to use your whistle. Whatever the thorn was for Paul, Jesus didn't take it away. And we don't know why. Maybe he did one day, but at this point, he has not taken it away. And so Paul is, this is the worst pun ever, Paul's stuck with it. I'm sorry. You didn't do anything to deserve that. That's totally on me. What that means is that regardless of what the thorn is in your life, whatever it is in your flesh, whatever trial, whatever temptation, whatever hardship, Jesus says to you, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's Paul's. Look at how he describes that, by the way. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Paul says, this is my boast. This is the, the war cry of his heart. It's that Christ can overcome. Christ can overcome your trial. You see, he, he's the one who can overcome because he is the one who has overcome. Remember, he's the one. Jesus is the one. If you remember this story in Luke 4, he, he takes the scroll of Isaiah It's a very powerful scene. He takes the scroll. He's in his hometown of Nazareth where we know he's going to be rejected. And he takes that scroll and he reads from Isaiah 61 and he assumes that the person of Isaiah 61 and he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's who Jesus is. He has come to do that. He came to do that and and not only did he come to do it, he did that. He proclaimed the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. He proclaimed liberty to those who were captives. The blind were given eyes to see, the poor and the marginalized and the helpless were given hope in him. And so not only did he claim to be the Christ, he was the Christ, and if he was the Christ, then he is the Christ presently. And in that proclamation, even though he spoke in power, and even though he healed in power, and and quieted storms in, in power, even though he did all of these things in power, even though he cast out demons in power, Even in all of that, all that display of divine power, that divine authority, it was through through his sacrifice that we are saved. It was his willingness to, to submit to the authorities of his time, his willingness to submit to the plan of the Father. It was his willingness to become sin for us at the cross. So, It was his willingness to be the stone that was cast away rather than fight against that. It was his willingness to pay the penalty for our sin and give to us his own righteousness. Our words of assurance this morning, 1 Peter 2.24, tell us that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then it adds this, that by his wounds, by his wounds you have been healed. Did did you... 
I hope you caught that. Peter says, by his wounds you have been healed. We we hear the same thing in Isaiah 53, right? Where Where he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It's with his wounds that we are healed. It's by his substitutionary death in our place. That's, the, that's what we call the forensic work of Christ in our salvation. That's what justification is. It's the declaration of righteousness. Not earned, not merited, but given to us. That's Romans 6.23, right? That the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? You see, we earned one thing, but in Christ we receive another. Uh, we just celebrated Christmas, right? I hope you did. If you missed that, you missed out. If you open just one gift, just one, if you opened just one gift, then you have to have some level of understanding that while it was a gift, a, a free gift to you, it came at a cost to someone else. You are only able to receive because someone else is willing to give. Every gift, every gift comes at a cost to the giver. And so it was that Christ was poured out for you. In a moment that looked like weakness, by every external marker that you could figure out, the cross looks like weakness. It looks like defeat. It does not look like power. It does not look like authority. It looks as though victory is being lost. In a moment that seems so paradoxically out of order that it cannot possibly be true, It was through the crushing of our Savior that you and I are redeemed. Christ was not defeated at the cross. He was victorious. The earth shook. The curtain was torn into and and reconciliation was purchased for God's children. That is God's gift. That is God's saving grace. It is free for us, but it costs Christ everything. Now, why is that important? What does that have to do with 2 Corinthians 12, 9? What does that have to do with my struggle today? I understand that Jesus saved me. I understand that it is in him that I am redeemed to God. But but what about the pain in my body? What about the tension in my heart? What about the struggle with present sin and the grief, sorrow, and despair of past wounds? What do I do with that? Well, to start, it's to remember is to remember that God's saving grace at the cross is proof of God's sufficient grace in the present. What Christ has done for you on the cross is proof that he will not let you go now. I I just read this quote uh, this week from uh, a guy named Michael Horton. He's a professor out at Westminster in California. He says this, justified once and for all through faith by a righteousness that, that is external to us, we are united to Christ by an inseparable communion so that In spite of our weaknesses, we will always seek our salvation in him. Most of my temporal suffering results because I lose a grip on the truth of who I am in Christ. I forget that I'm united to Christ. I forget that I'm a living, breathing, walking, talking Exodus story. I forget that Jesus is the great liberator of captives. And that in him we are set free. And, and so I end up being like an Israelite wandering around in the desert, grumbling and complaining as if Christ has saved me now to lead me out in the wilderness to starve. 
I forget that in Christ I'm a new creation, that the old has passed away and that the new has come. I walk in darkness as if I have not seen a great light. I forget that Christ, that in him no one can snatch me out of my Father's hand and I forget that Jesus welcomes our cries. He does not despise our weakness. He does not despise our fears. But he longs for us to pray for him. And we can come to him in confidence knowing that If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so you and I, just like the Apostle Paul, we have the direct line. We have the same line that he had, the same access to the throne of grace, and so we don't need a special red phone. We do not need a man in tights. What we need is is to speak to the one who hears us. In the very first verses of this letter, Paul, describing the affliction they have experienced, reminds the Corinthians that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And so while we do not dwell on the past, as as believers we do not, we are a new creation, and we do not live in the past, we do certainly at times need to remember the past. We need to remember who we are now. We need to remember our true identity. Ephesians 5.8 reminds us that at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then he adds the emphatic statement of encouragement. He says, walk. Walk as children of light. I don't, I don't know all your struggles, like, I don't know all of the points of tension and pain in your life. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare to presume that I do. But I know, that, I know that if Christ is great enough, that if he is strong enough and willing enough to call us from death to life, to liberate us from the bonds of sin, and to set us free, I know that he didn't do that in order to bring us out into the wilderness to leave us to ourselves. No, he did that in order to bring us into his family. To bring us into his kingdom and into his promise for our future. A promise that all things will be made new. Here's why I know we all need that reminder from time to time. Because the Apostle Paul needed that reminder. The Apostle Paul needed that reminder. And so Jesus told him, just as he tells us today, just as he tells you and I today, that my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Whatever you've got coming up in 2018, whatever challenges are going to come, most of them which you don't even know yet, most of the issues that are going to pop up in your life, you have no idea what they are today. In that moment... His grace is sufficient. When everything starts to fall apart, His grace is sufficient. When you can't carry it on your own, that's a good thing. That's proof that God's doing what He does. Because His power is made perfect in weakness. Don't forget who you are now as a result of what He has done for you. I heard one time it put this way, I I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's a pretty popular way of saying it. Seems like we've heard that somewhere. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that it's in my weakness that you show up. That it's when when I am weak, your power is made more manifest and we can rest in you. I thank you that you're a God who liberates us. That you're a God who sustains us. That you walk with us now. 
I thank you that I go into each new year, each new day, each new moment with the hope that you're going to carry me through. I thank you for your son and for his sacrifice for us. I thank you for his saving grace in our life and the proof that it is of your sufficient grace for today. God, thank you for making us your sons and your daughters. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.